The Gospel today is taken from Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Glory to you, O Lord. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ituria, and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and of Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of the Isaiah prophet, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight the paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all mankind will see God's salvation. The word of our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise to you, O Christ. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, our Lord and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. The Apostle Luke wrote this record, made this record, primarily for non-Jewish people. And in doing his research, by the way, in the first chapter of Luke, we have a genealogy, the history of the family, the ancestors of Jesus Christ. And uh, Luke does the most detailed record, he creates the most detailed record of who Jesus was and who his ancestors were, and he goes all the way back to Adam to prove who Jesus was. So the best genealogy we have of Jesus Christ is found in the book of Luke. Now, after the introductions are all done, he now comes in chapter 3, and he begins to talk about introducing the ministry of Jesus through John the Baptist. So he gives us a great deal of detail here. Notice how much detail the man gives us. He says in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea. The way the Roman government worked is they had one person who was in charge overall. And that was Pilate. And he then would report directly to Rome. And he was responsible in Rome. Then we had little areas that were divided up into sub-districts. And we have these three districts that are divided up by three brothers. That is, uh, we know Philip, and we know Herod, and we know Lysanias. That's mentioned right here in verse 1 of Luke chapter 3. These three brothers were the sons of Herod the Great. Do you remember Herod the Great? We talked about him a few weeks ago. Herod the Great was the one who built the temple to appease the Jews, to make them happy. He made the temple that much nicer. When he died, now he's been dead about 20 years now, Herod the Great. And he's got these three sons who are now in charge of these three areas. The two brothers, Herod, Tetrarch of Galilee, and Philip, tetrarch 
of uh, Ituria, uh, these two brothers have a little bit of a problem with each other. You remember why? Because Herod, Antipas, took the wife of his brother, Herodias. And she then called for the head of John the Baptist, because John the Baptist was telling them that they did terrible things. So this is the relationship that is taking place, and this is the ruling class that is over here so far. Now we have a third. So right now we have Pilate on the top. Then we have Herod. And now, we, so these are the, the governmental powers. Then below that we have during the high priest of Annas and Caiaphas. This is now verse 2. We're still establishing the time frame of when John the Baptist comes around. So, this is that during the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea. So we have Caesar, Pontius Pilate, and then we have Herod. Now during the 15th year, by the way, it's important for us to know that when we talk about the 15th year, there's a different way of measuring the years. The Romans measured the year at the beginning of the reign, the beginning of the rulership. So if we go by the Romans, they go by the beginning of the year. So from the first year, that's one year, and the second year. And by then the Syrians had a different way of measuring the year. So depending on who is recording in the Bible, the Syrians were the ones who recorded after the completion of the first year. This is the Roman year, 15th year. And uh, the, by the way, uh, here we have Caesar. Tiberius has been uh, Caesar from the fourth year, 1480, till the uh, 37th year AD. So we know the time frame that we're talking about. So 15th year of Tiberius Caesar, we have Pilate and we have Herod, and then in the, in, in, in the priesthood we have Annas and we have Caiaphas. Now, the high priests were required by Jews to be descendants of Aaron. We know Annas was a descendant of, uh, of uh, Aaron, the brother of Moses. You remember Aaron was the first high priest? Yeah. So they were supposed to remain descendants of the high priest Aaron. But when the Romans took control, they found that this guy was hard to deal with. But they couldn't do anything about it. They had to leave him there because the Jews required that the priest remain a priest until they died. And that is another study for another day. In Hebrews, we talk about, uh, Hebrews 7, we talk about uh, uh, that there was a problem with, with Jewish priests. They had to, whenever they died, they could not represent the Jewish nation forever. And so Jesus became the eternal high priest in Hebrews chapter 7. We find that the one priest forever, which is a study for another day, but just in explaining that the priest was there for life. But here we have Annas and Caiaphas, well, high priest. How is that possible? Well, who was Caiaphas? Caiaphas was a son-in-law of Annas. So could he be also a descendant of Aaron? He wasn't. And yet he became high priest. Because they used to sell the right to buy the responsibility of being high priest. 
And Caiaphas was the one who controlled the temple. Although the Jews didn't recognize him necessarily because Annas was still alive. So he could still be the high priest. But the one who was running the show was Caiaphas. So the priest used to make money off the temple. They used to make money in a couple of different ways. One, by selling animals for sacrifice. So what people did when they used to bring animals from their home, they'd get to the temple and the priest would find some reason to reject the animals. Oh, no, no. The paw on this lamb is got a flaw on it, so we cannot use this. So then they used to sell them their own lamb. And those lambs would be sold for much more money. And so it was these lambs that the shepherds, you remember the Christmas song and the Christmas story? It was these lambs that the shepherds who worked for the temple, it was they that were raising these lambs in Bethlehem. Bethlehem was known for raising sheep for the temple. So Caiaphas used to make money off of selling animals. Not just lambs, but other things as well. Pigeons and doves, whatever people could afford. So he made a lot of money. The other place he made money was they had to buy the animals with temple money. How do you like that? The temple had its own Jewish money, Jewish currency. So if you came from a different part of the world and you were Jewish, and you wanted to go and buy an animal, no, you can't do that. You have to buy temple money. So they used to exchange their money for temple money, and again, he used to make money over there. You know what it's like to, to trade dollars uh, American dollars to Canadian dollars and we lose and yeah, you know how it is? He used to do the same thing. That is why Jesus got angry when he went to the temple and he saw them selling the animals because he knew what they were doing. He let those animals, remember, he, they were all tied up and he let them all go. And the reason was because he knew what they were doing. The people were supposed to bring the animals from their home for the sacrifice. And part of the sacrificial system required that on the uh, on what we call Palm Sunday, five days before Passover, people used to take their animals to their home from the barns. Why? So they could develop a personal relationship with that animal. And when they were to sacrifice that animal, they would feel bad about sacrificing that animal. But now, all of that was gone. Why? Because they were selling animals instead. So Jesus was angry at them for deleting and depleting that relationship between the animal that was going to be sacrificed and for using the profits from that to get rich. So this is basically the picture that we're seeing. So we have, uh, we have uh, Caesar, Tiberius, we have Pilate, and then we have uh, Herod, and these are the three governmental rulers, and then we have Annas and Caiaphas. So five influential people that were there running all of Israel. And in the middle of all this, what happens? Comes this crazy person out of the wilderness. And he starts saying bad things about all these people. And not only that, the people began to follow him. John the Baptist, he went into all the country around Jordan, verse 3, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, 
as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet. I'll come to that. Notice, where was he? He was in the country around the river Jordan. Why around the river? He needed a place to baptize people. If they were going to confess their sins, he needed a place to dump them in the water and take them out. Now, baptism, we think that it is a Christian rite that came after. But baptism was a practice also for Jews. When a non-Jewish person would come into Judaism, they would be baptized in the water to symbolize the cleansing of their sin, the cleansing of their old ways, and coming out a new creature who belonged to the nation of Israel, to the people of Israel. But baptism was also available for those who had sinned and confessed their sins and come back into a reunion with the people of Israel. Now, what was John doing? To those people that thought that they were already good Jews and righteous, he was preaching to them and warning them and telling them that you may think that you are righteous, but you are not. You need to repent of your sins and you need to come to God in confession. Do you know that in the forgiveness of sins, there's two parts to it. And what is it? Now, I'm talking about our own, in the forgiveness of our own sins. If we're going to forgive somebody, that doesn't have to be two parts. If Rosanna has done some wrong to me, I don't need her to come and say I'm sorry in order for me to forgive her. Does she? I can forgive her without her confessing her wrong that she's done to me. However, in order for her to receive forgiveness, in her own mind, she has to confess to me and receive the forgiveness. It's two parts. Likewise, in the forgiveness, when it comes to forgiveness with God, there's a two part. One is the confession of sin. Confession of sin, that's what we have in church. We confess that we have sinned against you, and against our neighbor. We have either not done what you told us to do, or we have done what you told us not to do. That's confession. That's part one. The second part is the receiving and turning away from sin. So there's two parts. Confession and acceptance. So in this case, we talk about repentance of forgiveness. That is as it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the desert. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in. Every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight. And the rough way smooth. The people of Israel believed that the greatest prophet, Isaiah, would be reincarnated. Did you know that? They believed that he would be reborn under a different name, under a different person, to free them from Rome. The, the definition of the Messiah for the Jews there was an interpretation that Isaiah would be reborn as a new person, as a different person. It is for that reason 
When Jesus, you remember the, 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 the sermon we had on Jesus walking with the disciples and he says to them, who do, you, who do people say that I am? And they said, some say you are Elijah. Right? Did I say I said Elijah? They were expecting Elijah to be reborn. Elijah, not Isaiah. In the book of Isaiah, this we haven't recorded, but they were expecting Elijah to be reborn, to make way for the Messiah, to make way for God. Here then, read this, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. This was a common practice when a king or an emperor or a ruler was going to visit a city. They would send ahead a messenger and they would make the announcement, public announcement, that King so-and-so is coming. So people would get everything straightened out, clean the roads, get rid of all the bad things, paint their houses, fix everything up, because the king was coming. So now, John the Baptist is preaching the message that was found in Isaiah, predicting the coming of the Messiah. There's also a spiritual lesson here. And the spiritual lesson comes to its conclusion in the verse 6. And the spiritual lesson is this. A voice one calling the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight the paths for Him. Every valley shall be filled in. This is not saying to go ahead and fill in all the, all the valleys. Every mountain hill made low. It is not telling the people to make the mountains low. What it is telling, the crooked roads shall become straight. They're not going to rebuild the roads. What they're saying that when this messenger of God, when the Messiah comes, the valleys, the difficult, dark days will be gone. The high mountains that are hard to climb will be lowered. The roads that are crooked, that are difficult for us, will be straightened out. New roads will be built. And this is not talking about our temporal life. This is not talking about the world all of a sudden falling in love with us. It's not talking about all of a sudden having jobs and having lots of money and having lots of success. It's not talking about that at all. It's talking about a spiritual life. That in my spiritual life, I have dark days and I have difficult mountains and I have roads that are crooked, but sometimes I question my, my relationship with God. But now this person is coming who is going to make our spiritual life so easy that we can find our way to God through Him. And the reason we know that this is true is read verse 6. And all mankind will see God's salvation. So these lines just prior to that, verse 4 and 5, are with the salvation of mankind. And not just some mankind, but all mankind. For that, I want you to go back to Luke chapter 1, verse 88, we just read that. What did we read? Luke 1, 68. Now I know we call that a psalm, and the reason we call it a psalm is that the word psalm doesn't necessarily mean the book of psalms. The word psalm means a song. So this is in fact a song, but it's recorded here in verse 68. 7 through out to verse 79. Let me read this. I'm going to read only part of it. 
Praise to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he said through his holy prophets long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our fathers, to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham. What is that? What oath to our father Abraham? So, so here John is telling the people that God made an oath to Abraham and somebody is coming to fulfill that oath. What was the oath of Abraham? In Genesis chapter 12, God said to Abraham, Now get up, get up out of the land of Ur, the land of the Chaldeans, and go to a land that I will show you. I will give you land and I will give you children and I will bless you that through you all nations of the earth will be blessed. And what does it mean by all nations of the earth will be blessed? That they will find salvation. Through who? Through the seed of Abraham. We're studying this in our Wednesday night Bible study. The covenant of Abraham. The three-part covenant of Abraham was not so much that God wanted to give Abraham a child or that Abraham didn't have land. Abraham had land. But the purpose of the threefold covenant was that God wanted to save all of humanity. So the third promise was that all nations would be blessed through you and your seed. But how is all nations going to be blessed? Because God is going to give you land and he's going to give you a son who's going to have children like the stars of the sky and the sand of the earth. And through them, all nations will be saved. That was the covenant. And in chapter 15 of Genesis, God makes a blood covenant with Abraham where they cut the animals in half. They put the animals side by side. And then God comes down in a pot with a lit fire, a flame. And that flame goes through that while Abraham falls asleep. That is the blood covenant God made that he will save all nations of the earth through the seed of Abraham. Now, that seed of Abraham came through David and all the way down to Jesus Christ. Now here in Luke 3, we're finding the result of that. In Luke 3, and all mankind will see God's salvation. In chapter 1, Luke makes reference to that promise to Abraham that God made. And here he says, this is the fulfillment of that promise. And now, through this person, salvation will be made available to how many? All. It is because of this promise fulfilled right here that all of us that are sitting here today that are not Jews. Any Jews here? I don't think so. Sherland's a Jew. <laughs> I think we get adopted by God. We get adopted by God, absolutely. But we're, gen we're genetically not Jews. And when we're talking about uh, uh, all of us becoming 
The children of God. One day we'll, we'll have a, uh, a study on that. Because I believe I have some uh, information that I've discovered over the years. Because there were 12 tribes of Israel, right? And what happened? How many were left there when Jesus came? Here's a, here's a hint. How many? Two. Right? And what happened to the other ten? They went all over the world. They went all over the world. And they mixed them with races all over the world. So when Jesus says, other sheep have I, he's not talking about non-Jews. He's talking about Jews because never in the Bible does the word sheep refer to anybody else except the Jews. So when Jesus says, there are other sheep that I have that are not of this fold where he was, he means there were the Jews that were spread around the world. It is my personal belief, and I think I have the study to back it up. This is extra information. I'll bill you extra for this one. <laughs> that those ten tribes of Israel mixed in with people from all over the world, to Africa, to China, to India, and it's funny that we have historical records of those. And as those, as those ten tribes mixed in with all the world, not only spiritually, but I believe even genetically, Jews mixed in with all the nations of the world. And so spiritually and genetically, we inherited the promise of Abraham. That God did in fact keep his promise. There are two things that God cannot do. You know, sometimes people jokingly ask the question, can God do anything? You heard this when we were in school, when we were kids. Oh yeah, yeah. Can God make a stone so big that he cannot lift? You know, silly questions like that. But there are in fact two things that God cannot do. Do you know what they are? He cannot lie. God cannot lie. Number two, God cannot die. Two things. God cannot lie. God cannot die. If he dies, he's not God. God is immortal. So, these are two things that God cannot do. And by the way, just as an extra point here, do you know one of the 99 names of Allah in Islam? is the greatest deceiver. The greatest deceiver. As a deceiver, somebody who lies, how can it be God? God made a promise to Abraham at a time when the world had become a terrible, terrible place. And God picked the son of an idol maker, Abraham, and started and created a new plan of salvation through him. The plan itself wasn't new. The plan was already in place in advance. But God kept his word. And through the preaching and the preparation of John the Baptist, prepared us, prepared the world for the coming of Jesus Christ. My prayer for all of us is that we do not allow any more celebrations of Christmas to go by without making a lifelong commitment to accept that Jesus Christ. He wasn't born 
that we may have an annual Christmas day. He was born that we may accept him as our savior and fulfill his mission on the cross, that we may accept him as our savior. <clears throat> Let us commit to ourselves, to each other, as we celebrate that we will recommit our lives to Jesus, that through him we will find eternal life and our way back to God through redemption. May God bless each of us as we endeavor to study his word and go back to our God through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.